Welcome to the Peavine Podcast, where each week we bring you the message from our Sunday morning worship service with Pastor Joel Sutherland, and we take timeless biblical truth and help you to apply it in the context of your daily life. You can always join us live each Sunday morning at 8.30, 9.45, or 11 a.m. at our Rock Spring, Georgia campus, or at 11 a.m. at our Rossville, Georgia campus, which is just outside of Chattanooga, Tennessee. Hey, would you take your Bibles and turn to Galatians chapter 2? Galatians chapter 2. And over the next couple of weeks, I'm going to preach from this verse. I'm kind of using this verse as my starting place. And we're dealing with certain themes that are found in one particular verse in Galatians chapter 2. And today I want to preach on the plan. For the next two weeks, we're going to talk about the Christian life. That there is a plan for the Christian life. And hey, it's probably not what you think it is, because I'm going to give you the kind of the uh, uh, punchline here right up front, that the plan for living for Christ is the same plan that there is for coming to Christ, and it's called the cross. Sometimes we get the idea that we think the plan for salvation is the cross, And for living for Christ is me trying really hard to live the Christian life, but that's not true. As a matter of fact, the Bible tells us that the same plan for living is the same plan for getting saved. It is all about the cross. And so we get really confused and we think, well, hey, I'm going to just be the best Christian I can be and I'm going to try really hard and I'm going to try. Now, we're not against trying. God's not against trying. Nobody is against trying, but that's not the plan. The plan is not for us to try really hard. And so we're going to dive into Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, and we're going to find out what the plan is. Let me, let me get us there. Uh, by the way, I'm about to put up a slide, and this is, not a, uh, this is not a political statement at all. This is just a fact I want to give you, that when it comes to the death penalty in the United States, 29 states have the death penalty. I didn't know this until I looked it up, but since 1976, there have been over 1,500 executions in the United States. 1,300 by lethal injection, 163 by electric chair, 11 by gas chamber, 3 by hanging, and 3 by firing squad. I didn't know that was a thing. No, 1,500. This is not a political statement. Don't, I'm not saying you're for it or against it, none of that, but I, I want to make a statement. You say, well, why would we uh, have the death penalty? And here's the rationale behind the death penalty. Here it is. The death sentence is used when it is not good enough to do away with the sin, but it has become necessary to also do away with the sinner. Because if the sinner is left, more sin will follow. Now there's a phrase I want you to follow in there that it's used when it's not good enough to do away with the sin, but it has become necessary to do away with the sinner. So what does that have to do with the Bible? Because I want you to understand that is the philosophy of God when it comes to Christianity as well. Because of our sinful nature as human beings, it was not good enough to just deal with our sin. God had to deal with the sinner as well. 
That's what Paul is telling us in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. Uh, Galatians 2.20 is really the theme verse of the Christian life. It is the plan of the Christian life. It describes in great brevity and in great detail the key to living the way Christ would have you live. The trouble we have in the Christian life is that we go about it all the wrong way. And so here's what we're trying to do. We're trying to live it in our own flesh without realizing uh, that in this flesh... It is an impossibility to live for Christ. See, you, you can't live for Christ by just being the, the best person you can be. If, if that were, were true, you could probably get saved that way by being a great person, but that just doesn't work. You can't get saved by being a really good person. You can't live for Christ by being a really good person. The truth is that before you can live the Christian life, you must realize that you have been, get this, crucified with him. In today's whole sermon, all I want you to do is con- come to an understanding and make whatever decision you need to make. Today's sermon is about you understanding the Christian life. That this is going to sound like an oxymoron, but God's plan for Christian living is death, crucifixion. Until you realize that all of your fleshly efforts are for naught. You'll try to do what you can do and be the best Christian you can be. Because, you know, God just didn't nail your sins to the cross. He nailed you there with Christ. Why? Because he wanted to get rid of the sin and the sinner. And get this, that three-letter word, S-I-N, is a real problem in your life. Sin is much bigger than you think it is. See, sin is a, it's an eternal problem. You say, what do you mean by eternal problem? Well, if you don't deal with your sin, you will spend eternity in a place called hell. So it is an eternal problem. Sin is a daily problem. That comes out in our habits. But if you don't deal with uh, the daily problem of sin, your habits will be far from God and take you far from God. But not only that, sin is a temptation problem. And it's a matter of the heart because temptation will lure your heart away from God and the gospel. You have to deal with sin and you have to deal with the sinner. So let's look in your Bible, Galatians 2, verse 20. Look at that verse with me. I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the Body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I'm going to deal primarily with that first phrase. I have been crucified with Christ. I have been crucified with Christ. See, because you are placed in Christ at salvation... It is essentially as if you were nailed to the cross with him. I am crucified. Now, I don't want to get in a lot of Greek stuff because I don't know a lot of Greek stuff. But let me tell you what some of that means. That phrase, I am crucified, in grammar is in the indicative mood, which means it is a fact. Not only that, it is in the perfect tense, which means it was an action. When you have the indicative move in the perfect tense, it is an action completed in the past with continuing present results. 
An action completed in the past with continuing present results. It's also in the passive voice, which means the subject is not being doing the acting. The subject is being acted upon. That means that you could not do it yourself. You cannot commit suicide via crucifixion. It's a physical impossibility. So here's, it's as if the, that little phrase is saying this. It is as if I was crucified on the cross with Jesus when he was crucified, and the results are I'm still being crucified today. Or the results are I'm still living in that reality today. Or the results are I'm still living in that truth today. You can't crucify yourself. Jesus did that for you. So here's what that means. That at salvation, you accept your crucifixion in Christ Jesus and you become dead. I hate to say it this way, but we were divinely executed when we were saved. Your flesh and your old man have been nailed to Calvary's cross. And you are dead to the old man. Now I know some of you are probably saying, now what? But that affects the Christian life. Because that, that affects our understanding of the Christian life. Because we have pews full of people when people are here. Or we have televisions full of people who are trying to live it the best they can. When in the truth, God doesn't want your best. He wants your death in Christ. He wants you to die to the old self. And realize it's dead. And operate in the power of God and the knowledge of that death that Christ is living through you. So what does it mean to be crucified with Christ, dead to sin, and dead to the old man? There's three things I want to point out. Here they are. Number one, here's what the Bible says, that we are dead to the debt of sin. That's the eternal problem. We are dead to the debt of sin. Now, I've got a Bible verse up here, and you jot it down in your notes, and I've got it in two different translations. Uh, Colossians 2.14 He erased the certificate of debt with its obligations that was against us and opposed to us and has taken it away, get this, how? By nailing it to the cross. In another translation, it says this, by canceling the record of debt that stood against us. How did he cancel the record of debt that stood against us? Here's what Paul said in Colossians. He nailed it to the cross. See, the reason you have to be saved is that you owe a debt you cannot pay. A long time ago, we used to sing a song in all our churches that had a line in it. It said, I owed a debt I could not pay, and it was growing every day, but Jesus paid it all for me. That debt you owed was your sin debt. Can I tell you this? You you know you were born with that debt? Your parents birthed you into this world in debt. What kind of debt? Sin debt. You say, what do you mean, preacher? Well, here's the problem. If you go all the way back to the beginning, Adam and Eve, remember them? Adam and Eve were created perfect in the image of God, in harmony with God. They, they, They had no sin in their lives, no sin in their blood, no sin in their veins whatsoever. And it was meant to stay that way. But you remember, Adam and Eve had one command, don't eat the fruit of this tree And you remember what they did? They ate of the fruit of that tree. And the Bible says that when they ate of it, they would surely die. Well, they did die. They died two ways. Number one, they immediately died spiritually. They lost their connection with God. And they eventually died physically. 
And so they didn't live forever the way they were designed to live. Well, when Adam and Eve sinned, they both became sinners. And they owed a debt to God. But when two sinners have a baby, guess what that baby is? That baby's a sinner baby. And do you know that has passed down all the way from Adam and Eve all the way to us? That when you were born, you were born a sinner. And I know what some of you are thinking, preacher, that may be true for me. But you have not met my little one-year-old baby. He's not a sinner. Hang on. Hang on. He'll prove it to you just any day now. Any day. You don't have to teach a kid to sin. We figured that out all on our own. Why? Because it's in our nature. And that sin nature was passed down to us from our parents. And so you were born with a sin debt from your parents. But even if you don't like that, can I tell you this? You've added to the sin debt every day of your life since then. Like you were born with a pretty significant debt, but you hadn't helped yourself out any. You've sinned since then knowingly. And the debt is so large that the only way it can be dealt with is for you to spend an eternity in a place called hell paying for your own sin, which you'll never be able to pay for, or someone to come along and pay the debt that you cannot pay. And the payment on the sin debt is the perfect holiness and righteousness of God. Oh, there's so many verses I could quote, but you know the one, 2 Corinthians 5, 21, he became sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Jesus had to die for us on the cross of Calvary so we could give him our sin and he could give us his righteousness. We could never pay the debt. We have to rely completely on the work of Christ on the cross on our behalf. While he was dying on the cross to pay the sin debt of the whole world, we, Paul said, were nailed to the cross in him. And our debt was canceled out. When you accept Christ as your Savior and you become a Christian, you are placed in Christ way back on the cross of Calvary. And it's as if you were crucified, your old man, with him. Your sin and your old man. Now I know some of you are thinking, well, wait, how large can my sin debt be? I, I'm, a, I'm a pretty good person. And I tell you that your debt is much larger than you think. Can I be honest? We don't have any self-awareness at all. Like we, we're not good at this kind of thing. I'll give you an example. If I ask you how much time you spent on your phone, your iPad, your computer, and your television, can I promise you this? You would radically underestimate the amount of time you spend on your phone, iPad, computer and TV. As a matter of fact, no matter where you are right now, whether you're at home, whether you're in a condo, whether you're in a camper, wherever you are right now, do this. Look at the people in the room and estimate how much time a day you spend on a phone, iPad, computer, or TV. Go ahead, do it. I'm going I'm to give you a 10-second break. Just do it. Say it to everybody. Be honest. Come up with a number. Say it. Come on. Now, I know you didn't do this, you say, all right, how much time is it? Well, according to Vision Direct, who did uh, uh, recently, just a few days ago, did, did a study that the average person, let me give you over your lifetime first, over your lifetime. And by the way, they say it's all gone up during the coronavirus. But if you continue at the present pace you're on, you will spend 34 years of your life if you live a normal life. Looking at phones, computers, iPads, and televisions. 
you're saying, no. It's because you're not aware. You know what that means? The average person spends 13 hours a day glued to a screen of some sort. Don't deny it. You're not more spiritual than anybody else. Hey, if you work from home, you're spending eight or nine hours a day on a computer right there. Not counting your phone, not counting your iPad, not counting a television. Get this. In the study, they said more than four hours a day is spent looking at a laptop. That sounds about right. That's called checking email a day. You spend three and a half hours watching television. That's called a ball game. They found out that 25% of couples fight over their partner's screen time habits. And get this. Four in ten parents say their kids spend too much time on their devices. Four in ten parents. What they also found out, the other six parents didn't notice because they were too busy looking at their own devices. 34 years. 13 hours a day. You spend more time than you think you do. Because we're not really self-aware. And your sin is piled up more than you think it is. You owe a debt that you're not even good and self-aware about that debt. I'm going to tell you what Jesus did. He went and gathered up all of your sin debt and he took them all on himself. You say, well, I know he got my old sins, but what about the sins I hadn't committed yet? You hadn't committed any of them when he died on the cross for you. He took them all on himself. And when you accept what Christ did on the cross of Calvary, the Bible says you are reckoned in the crucifixion. That is, you are figured, you are accounted into the crucifixion. And your debt has been paid. In Christ, you died to your sin debt. Listen, he was the only one that could pay the mounting sin debt we have. And it could only be paid through his death and through his blood. Can I say this? That's why it's blasphemy to try to get into heaven any other way. Because he died for your sin and for the sinner. I want to ask you this morning, have you been crucified with Christ and has your sin debt been paid? There's some of you watching, maybe the first time you've ever tuned in, and I know what you're thinking. Well, hey, that's not the route I'm going to go. I'm going to turn over a new leaf or I'm going to straighten my life out or I'm going to join this or join that. Can I tell you this? The only plan God has is for you to be crucified and be dead to the debt of sin. If you don't accept that and you don't understand that, then you owe a debt you'll never get paid and your eternal problem will never, ever be taken care of any other way. Second thing we learn from that phrase, I am crucified, is this, that we are dead to the dominion of sin. That's the daily problem. Here's what Paul said in Romans 6, 6. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be rendered powerless so that we may no longer be enslaved to sin. That we may no longer be enslaved to sin. Here's what the Bible says, that we were crucified in order that our sinful nature, our old sinful man, our old man, the Bible calls it, might be stripped of its power. That phrase, uh, might be rendered powerless in the Greek, translates a Greek verb which means Uh, It says it is reduced to a condition of absolute impotence and inaction as if it were dead. 
It's as if it were dead. It is so powerless. It's as, exi- as if it doesn't exist. And here's what Paul said. With the old self rendered powerless, it is no longer necessary for a person to continue in bondage to sin. In Christ, we are set free. I can tell you the great news that sin is powerless to overcome the new life in Christ. We have been crucified with Christ. Sin can no longer have dominion over us. Therefore, we do not have to obey and be enslaved to sin. In practical terms, here's what that means. There's not a sin you struggle with that can have any control or dominion over you unless you give it up. You you, you remember this? You remember the old Superman cartoons, movies? You remember Superman? He could do anything. You, you remember that? Faster than a speeding bullet, more powerful than a locomotive, able to leap tall buildings in a single bound. It's a bird, it's a plane. No, it's who? Superman. Man, Superman was awesome. He's the best character. If you ever out in the yard as a boy playing with like superhero figurines, you want to be Superman because everything bounced off of him. Nothing worked until... Your friend who was Spider-Man reached over and picked up a rock and he dropped it in front of you. And what did he say when he dropped it in front of you? He said, this is kryptonite. And it really messed up Superman because in the presence of kryptonite, Superman was rendered totally powerless. Can I tell you this? In the presence of the cross, sin loses all of its power over you. The cross is kryptonite to sin. That means that when you're crucified with Christ, you can change. I know, I know you're thinking, preacher, you don't know the the habits I'm struggling with. You don't know what all the sin. You just don't know, preacher. I was born this way. I was made this way. My mama and my daddy and my friends and my... Hey, hey, hey. The cross is kryptonite to all of that. You can change. You can overcome that habit. You can do right. You can get the devil out of your home. You can rise above sin. You can be the Christian you should be. Now, I wonder how many of you today live a defeatist lifestyle when it comes to sin. Listen, you have been crucified, and because of that, sin has no control over you. Quit living defeated. Quit acting like you lose. Quit acting like Jesus doesn't give you victory and power over all of that. Sin, you're dead to the dominion of sin. And finally, number three, we're dead to the demands of sin. That's the temptation problem. That's a matter of the heart. Look at Galatians chapter five and six. Now those who belong to Christ just have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Galatians six, but as for me, I will never boast about anything except the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ The world has been crucified to me through the cross and I to the world. Now the Bible would even state in more practical terms what being crucified with him means. There are certain practical implications. that Here's what it says. There are two categories. Number one, 
fleshly passions and desires and loves have been crucified. That is, the, the emotions, the cravings, the longings, and the sins that come from inside of us. See, all most of your problems not from the devil. You know that, right? The devil ain't your problem. You is your problem. Like, I'm the problem. It's me. Most of my sin comes from inside of me. The anger that comes out of me, the hurt feelings that come out of me, the greed that comes out of me, the sinful cravings that come out of me, those are in me. That's where most of my temptation comes from. And we're dead to those demands. Before you know Christ, if your flesh says, I want you to do this, you can't say no. But with Christ you can. But not only that, it says we are dead to the worldly temptations. Those are the things that the world will tempt us with. Prestige, power, status, material items. All of that has become dead to you when you were crucified with Christ on the cross. You know why? Dead people can't be tempted. Hey, let me take you to the back room of a funeral home. We'll go back in the back where they're embalming a body and let's do this. Let's do this. I mean, no disrespect whatsoever, but let's, let's take a minute and uh, let's stand over the body and call it names and see it get mad at us. Like, we'll just stand over a body and we'll be like, man, you're not looking good today. You know, bad, you know, whatever. I don't know. Insulting. Watching get mad. You say, preacher, you're losing your mind. No, let's do this. Let's, let's all pull our money together. Let's wave money in front of his face and say, hey, guy, we'll pay you to sin. Hey, let's do this. Let's offer him a promotion and a raise if you'll walk, back, walk, his, walk out on God. You say, preacher, you're, you're wasting your time. None of that matters if the guy's dead. Exactly. Dead people can't be tempted. Did you know that's how the Christian life operates as well? You are dead. You've been divinely crucified because you were reckoned in Christ out salvation. And I'm telling you today that you living in victory should not be the exception. It should be the normal Christian life because you've been crucified with Christ. You know what that means? It means you don't have to get offended every time something doesn't go your way. You don't have to give in to every temptation the enemy throws your way. You don't have to fall prey to every trap the devil sets for you. You don't have to fall and fail day in and day out. Practically, you do possess the strength to overcome your sin only because you have been crucified with Christ. By the way, I had a, I had a casket on the screen. I forgot to put it up. But your enemy will build, hear me, your enemy will build the illusion you can't win. But you have already one. Let me tell you a story and I'm, I'm finished. I'm on baseball stories because, man, I miss baseball, but Peter Brancasio was a physics professor. He passed away back in April of the COVID virus, his son Larry said, April 25th. He, he, he's a physics professor. Now, hang with me. He's holding a baseball. He's a physics professor. But he was a he was obsessed with basketball. He's known for two studies he did as a physics professor. One, he studied how long Michael Jordan hung in the air. 
when, he, when people were asked to estimate how long Michael Jordan hung in the air, they were estimating six seconds on average. Now, after this sermon, I want you to stand up and jump and count to six. You can jump 10 times in six seconds. Michael Jordan did not stay in the air six seconds, but people thought he did. And so uh, Broncasio actually studied it from a physics perspective and said he was actually hanging in the air less than a second, but he had this unusual ability to shoot the ball on the way down, which made it seem like he was in the air longer than he was. The second thing that he's most famous for, this is the one he's most famous for. If you've ever played baseball, there's something known as a rising fastball. And the theory is, as you watch a, as a 90 mile an hour pitch coming at you, sometimes the way certain pitchers throw it, you think it rises as it gets to you. As a matter of fact, Nolan Ryan was the first pitcher that we heard about a lot that batters would say, he's throwing a rising fastball. Man, that thing's coming up and pitchers could not get on top of it. And that's the verbiage you heard. Rising fastball, can't get on top of it. Strikeouts. Brocasio decided to study it. And he reported to the Kansas City Star in 1987. And here's what he said. Gravity, he said, the rising fastball is an illusion. Gravity makes everything fall, even baseballs. And no one can throw one fast enough with enough spin to overcome gravity's natural force. So here's what he said. The rising fastball just looks like it's rising. It's really just not dropping as far. So here's what he studied. An average fastball thrown at 90 miles an hour with 1,800 revolutions per minute would drop three feet from the pitcher's mound to the home plate. But when a fastball is thrown harder with more backspin... It dropped less, but on average, it dropped two feet, six inches, a total of a six inch dip. It wasn't rising. It just was dropping not quite as much, but here's the deal. Because a batter anticipated a three foot drop, when it only dropped two and a half feet, it created the illusion that the fastball was rising and unhittable wasn't real. It was an illusion. What does that have to do with anything? Listen, the devil, the devil will tell you that about the Christian life. He'll say, you can't hit it. Sorry, you're no good. I'm better than you. I'm throwing stuff at you you can't deal with. No, no. Can I tell you this? It's all an illusion. And you can win. Because you've been crucified with Christ, you've already won. You just have to realize it and live it out every day in your life. Your debt has been paid. You don't have to go to hell. Sin has no control over you. Your habits can be broken. And you don't have to give in to temptation. Your heart can be plain, clean. How? It all happens when you were crucified with Christ. Now, if you're a Christian, I'll, hold on. In one minute, I've got another word for you you need to hear. But if you're here today and you don't know Jesus as your Savior, that first thing's a really big deal for you. Has your debt been paid? You can't live good enough to pay the debt. You can't give enough to pay the debt. You can't change enough to pay the debt. Only Jesus can pay it. And you have to be crucified with him. You say, how do I have that happen in my life? It is as simple as ABC. A, you've got to admit you're a sinner. And admit that you owe a debt you cannot pay. B, you must believe that Christ died on the cross for your sin and rose again on the third day. That's the gospel. And see, you have to confess him as Lord and Savior of your life. The Bible said, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. 
So wherever you are, wherever you're listening, if you want to trust Christ today, have that eternal problem taken care of. Just bow your heads with me. I'm going to lead you in a prayer. It's not a, it's not a prayer that saves you, but the intent of your heart is to trust Jesus. I'll help you pray. You may not need any help. You may know exactly what to do. If you do, you take off and do it right now. But, but if not, let me, let me lead you in prayer. Pray something like this. Dear Lord Jesus, I owe a sin debt I cannot pay. But I know you paid it for me by dying on the cross and rising again on the third day. So just now, I receive that payment you made for me. I ask Christ into my life to forgive me of my sin and to give me a home in heaven. And I trust Jesus and Jesus alone. Amen. Hey, if you just prayed that prayer, you are born again. Your sin debt has been taken care of. So I want you to take your phone and text the word I did, no spaces, I did, to the number 97,000. I did to 97,000. We've got some material we're going to send you that will tell you how to take the next step in the Christian life. There's about seven things that need to happen very quickly after you're born again, after you're saved, after you know Christ. And we're going to send you a little pamphlet that will tell you all about that. So just text I did to 97,000 and uh, that will get the process started and we'll drop it in the mail to you this week. I did, no spaces, I did to the number 97,000. Thank you for listening today. Hey, if you're a Christian, let me tell you this. I've recorded a video at pvine.org slash the plan. pvine.org slash the plan. And in there, I deal in just a few minutes. I, I'm, I'm in front of a whiteboard and I deal with how you start a new habit and overcome an old one through the power of Christ. Like, if you're not a believer, this is not going to work. But I, I'm going to tell you what a habit is, what it looks like, why you do it, and how you can overcome it through Christ. pvine.org slash the plan. Thanks for tuning in today. June 14th. Circle that date on your calendar. And we'll be back soon. Let's pray. Father, thank you for a church that has remained faithful even during these strange, strange times. And I pray that today while people were listening, people came to faith in Christ because we've been praying for them. Lord, I pray that for Christians who've been watching this, who are struggling with habits and sins in their life, Lord, may they find victory today, realizing above all else, they have been crucified with Christ. The sin and the sinner nailed to the cross of Calvary. Thank you for what you've done in our lives. Thank you for what you're going to do in our lives. Lord, as our state, our nation, our churches begin to open, God, send revival. Help us pray more than we've ever prayed. Help us to read our Bibles more than we've ever read. Help us to witness more than we've ever witnessed. Death and eternity are on so many people's minds. And the light shines the brightest in the darkness. It's a dark day, Lord. Help us shine brightly. In Jesus' name we pray. We hope that you've enjoyed the message this week as we help equip you to apply God's Word to your daily life. For the latest updates about what's happening around Peavine City, be sure to like us on Facebook and follow us on Instagram and Twitter. For more information about Peavine or to get in touch with us, please visit our website, peavine.org. Thanks for listening.